gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Armature Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Welcome to episode 94 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast about the Bronze Age adventures of Superman that Scott Two True Freaks Gardner refers to as another show. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and while my voice has recovered in time for me to record this at the last minute, I'm still getting over a sinus infection, so if I sound stuffy, I'm sorry, and if it sounds like there are a lot of cuts in the episode, that's probably just me editing out the coughing and the phlegm. Today's episode is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. You can find them on the web at dcbservice.com and please make sure to also visit their sister stores in stock trades and my digital comics. Next up, we've got some feedback thanks to our friend, Russell Bragg, and he writes, Hi Charlie and David. Once again, I have all the comics mentioned in this episode. I don't know if that's happened for consecutive shows before. I'm going to take your word for it, Russell. And I thank you for summarizing for me. I'm going to try real hard to read the comics before I listen to a show and see what you spot that I don't. It will probably be a lot, as I'm not that good at it. I guess that's why you're a podcaster and I'm just an ordinary listener and comic reader. Just so I'm clear, will David be doing issue 15 or 17 of DC Comics Presents? You said one and he said the other. Come to think of it, when you give the answer, it'll be too late. I'll just read both of them. Sorry to ramble. Better to go now. Russell. Well, Russell, I have no idea what you're talking about. We do not make mistakes like that on a professional show like Superman of the Bronze Age. Now, what? He did? I did? Well, All right, so it turns out that there was some confusion last episode. Dave was originally going to cover DC Comics Percent 17, 
featuring Firestorm, but since it was just recently covered on the Fire and Water podcast hosted by Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag, Dave has decided to cover DC Comics Presents 15 featuring The Atom. He mentioned it on his segment last episode, but somehow when I listened to it, I totally missed that part, so I said he was covering 17. As punishment, I got sick, and I now have to play these promos. I'm sorry. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie, Charlie. we need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, Superman number 312 had a cover date of June 1977 and an on-sale date of March 7th, 1977 and a cover price of 35 cents. The title of this story is Today the City... Tomorrow the World, written by Marty Pascoe, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Springer, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. 
5.55 p.m. in Metropolis. Morgan Edge, president of WGBS, calls up Samuel Tanner, president of United Broadcasting. And they have a discussion that brings us up to speed on some of what happened last issue. Namely, the virus has been spreading throughout the World News Conference in Central City, which the press has taken to calling the journalist's disease. Thanks to a handy newscast, we also learned that Superman has built an emergency treatment facility at the ski area at the Sheridan Central Hotel, where a special medical team from the Federal Center for Disease Control in Atlanta will work in conjunction with Star Labs and other research organizations to find the cause of the plague. A quick interview with Superman not only reminds us that Lois is sick, but shows us that Superman is quite frustrated at the situation. After the interview concludes, Superman hears a familiar voice call out his name and is surprised to see that Linda Danvers is also in town, having brought the kids from the New Athens Experimental School's student newspaper to the conference on a field trip. After heading to somewhere a little more private, she changes to Supergirl and demands to know what happened to Namek, the horned Kryptonian monster that could have cured this disease already. After a quick review of Namek's origin story, Superman tells Supergirl about the fight from last issue, Flash getting punched into space, and Namek being disintegrated by lava containing traces of kryptonite. He then reminds her of his vow to give up his Superman career if he ever broke his vow to take a life, and then heads up to the JLA satellite to tender his resignation, while she returns to the hotel as Linda to get her students to someplace safe. Later in the JLA satellite, once Supergirl arrives, which is uh, later in the JLA satellite orbiting the Earth 22,300 miles above the city of Metropolis, Supergirl arrives to find out that Flash is still recovering inside a healing aura created by Green Lantern's ring. He'd be better sooner, but he was stuck out in space for hours because the message that Superman had sent to Green Lantern was garbled by static, and it took him a lot of time and effort to decipher it. We then learned that the static was caused by an electrical interference, from a teleportation beam sent from space to the West Indies. Excited by this news, both Kryptonians head down to the West Indies, more specifically to the part of the West Indies where Namek was last seen. And they use their supervision to trace the faint trail of electrically charged particles to the large asteroid with a building on it that we saw last issue. Even though they can see that they are in for a fight, both heroes feel great right now because this means that Superman didn't kill Namek. In fact, at that same moment, we see Namek talking to an unseen person inside the ship, explaining that he had tried going to Earth after defeating this unseen person to warn the humans and Superman of the plague. But they turned against him, so now he turns against them and agrees to join forces with Amalek, the Kryptonian killer. It's at this moment that Superman and Supergirl bust into the ship. Amalek surrounds himself with some kind of energy field, but Superman hits him hard enough to knock him out of the field. However, the field has a mind of its own as it starts attacking the Man of Steel. When it moves on to Supergirl, Namek takes over taking on Superman, where he relates the story of how Amalek found him drifting in space after Krypton had exploded, and then learned about Amalek's personal mission to destroy every last Kryptonian because Krypton destroyed his homeworld. But after he found that Namek could not be killed, all he could do was imprison him. But when Amalek's ship entered a yellow sun system, Namek's superpowers kicked in, so he escaped and flew to Earth to make Superman aware of Amalek's plans. And then he punches Superman out of the ship, but not before Supergirl tells her cousin to focus on capturing Namek and leave Amalek to her. Regaining his composure, Superman flies away from Amalek's ship, with Namek following behind toward a nearby meteor shower. 
Both Kryptonians start throwing the meteors at each other while Superman tries to think of a way to stop Namek. Meanwhile, inside the ship, Amalak is controlling his electro-surrogate as it is choking the life out of Supergirl. But while she is trying to figure out what has caused Amalek's new vendetta against Krypton, the surrogate's grip slackens enough for her to kick it into a wall, causing it to shatter in a flash of light more intense than a supernova. While this temporarily blinds her, Amalek uses his teleporter to retrieve his star cannon from Superman's fortress, then uses it to shoot Supergirl in the back of her head, knocking her out. Because Amalek wastes no time, except that he knocks her out instead of killing her, so I guess he does waste time. Outside, Superman notices the large deposits of quartz in some of the rocks, which gives him the idea to use a combination of super speed and heat vision to create a giant prism around Namek to filter out the yellow sun rays and take away his powers. When he returns to the ship with Namek, he sees Supergirl chained to a chair with Amalek holding his star gun to her head. Amalek says he will let him take Namek back to Earth as long as he leaves Supergirl as his prisoner. After some deliberation, Superman heads back to Earth with Namek, while Amalek lets Supergirl know that he alone knows the cause of the plague he created, then puts the star cannon to her head and prepares to fire. The spellbagging... The spellbagging... The Spellbinding Saga concludes next issue as Supergirl faces death and the plague spreads further. Bum, bum, bum. Going into my notes for this issue, uh, starting off back at page two, as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, Samuel Tanner just recently was introduced in Action Comics as Blackrock. So it's nice to see that he's still around. I wonder if this has anything to do with some kind of upcoming story. Page five. I'm wondering how Linda explains why Superman just flew off with her. Because that's not normal. And, yeah, that could start all kinds of, you know, rumors. Uh, page 7. Time seems to be moving differently in these comics. It didn't seem like Flash was actually in space for hours last issue. Maybe I could... I mean, I could be wrong, but it just... The time doesn't seem right. Uh, page 8. Yay! Superman didn't kill anybody yet! Yet. Hold on. Page 9. Okay, Amalek looks different here compared to his previous appearances. Similar to how different Mr. Mixias Pitalik looked in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow compared to his previous appearances before that. According to a future laters, according to a future letters page, Marty Pasco had an explanation for these changes, but ended up not having enough room to include it in the story. Since I haven't read most of those most of the stuff in the Marty Pasco run yet. I don't know if he gets to it, but we'll find out together. Uh, page 14. How is Supergirl getting choked here? As we've learned in previous issues and previous episodes of the show, uh, neither she nor Superman actually need to breathe. Therefore, uh, it doesn't matter how much air she would have in her lungs, uh, choking her shouldn't be hurting her. Just saying. Uh, page 16. Namek is completely encased in the crystal. No part of him is exposed at all. Which means he's probably running out of air. Especially since he's not super anymore. Hmm. But, remember the fact that he's completely encased. This will be important later. Now, overall, I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, the stakes were raised. Supergirl and Superman team up. Amalek reveals himself. Not that way. And we are introduced to a new mystery. And Superman learns that he didn't kill Namek. The big problem I had was the same problem that comes up whenever the idea that Superman has broken his no-killing vow is touched upon. 
giving up his powers almost immediately would actually make things worse. In fact, giving up his powers at all would actually make things worse. For ex but at this point, we're in the middle of a crisis, and he's just going to quit. At the very least, he should wait until they find some kind of cure for the virus. But even then, he's leaving the Earth without one of its greatest protectors. Still, you know, I, I just don't have a defense for that. Granted, I guess he did see what that the Earth could survive without him in the Man or Superman storyline, since the Earth seemed to survive just fine for about a week without him, but still. Uh, now, I'm still not a fan of Springer's inks, but other than but otherwise the art was actually pretty good here. Fortunately, this is Springer's last issue inking Swan for a little while, so it will get much better. That's it for that issue. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead. No, we're not. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a couple promos. And when we come back, we'll look at issue 313. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. <coughs> <clears throat> no. No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back. And we're going to look at Superman number 313, which had a cover date of July 1977 and an on-sale date of April 4th, 1977, with a cover price of 35 cents. The title of the story is The Only Way You'll Save the Earth is Over My Dead Body, written by Marty Pascoe, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Dan Adkins, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Now, after taking up two pages to recap the last two issues, Amalek finds that his star cannon will not fire. With a bit of a grin, Supergirl breaks free of her chains and knocks Amalek out, while letting us know via Thought Balloon, I miss those, that while Superman appeared to be deliberating with himself over saving Supergirl or leaving her there as a prisoner, he was actually focusing his invisible heat vision on the star cannon, melting the gun barrel inside. So while she looks for the cause of the infection, Superman arrives at his emergency treatment facility. Since Namek's Rondor, Rondor horn is now sticking out of his crystal cocoon, 
He leaves him inside so that the Horn can do its work to cure the journalists, which begins almost immediately. Back on Amalek's ship, Supergirl is tying up the evil alien, but her thoughts are elsewhere, allowing Amalek to catch her off guard and knock her away. This gives him enough time to get to his weapons console and activate his energy nexus again, which is that energy con construct thing I talked about last issue, and it knocks Supergirl around for a bit before trying to throttle the life from her again. It's at this point that Amalek reveals that he is an agent on... No. It is at this point that Amalek reveals that he has an agent on Earth who is the cause of the infection, and that he is bleh, and that he is soon to encounter Superman in his guise of Clark Kent. While she finally starts to fight back, we turn our focus to the Star Cannon, because even though Superman caused it to jam, the cosmic energy that is released every time Amalek uh, pulls the trigger has been building up inside of it enough that it explodes in a blast big enough to destroy Amalek's ship. Back at the Sheridan Central Hotel lobby, Clark meets up with Jamie Lombard, who is not enjoying being quarantined. But at that moment, the other reporters who were in the lounge suddenly show up, and all covered in spots, indicating that they've all got the virus now. Since Superman is needed to rush the new victims to the treatment center, Clark gets Ralphie the dog to bite him. But since the dog won't let go, Clark once again hits Ralphie's tail with a small burst of heat vision, which causes Ralphie to run off. But this time, he's also got Clark's watch stuck in his mouth. Giving chase until they are out of the room, Clark then switches to Superman and takes to the skies, so that he can double back and make it look like that Superman's arriving from outside of the hotel rather than inside, and therefore keeping his secret identity safe. But, before he can turn around, he's attacked by some alien creature. As they fight, the creature identifies itself as Jevik, and demonstrates several superpowers of his own, including super speed, which he uses to tie Superman up with a cable from the ski lift. As Jevik then zooms off, Superman notices a ticking sound as he breaks the cables around him. But in the time it took to do that, Superman loses sight of Jevik. So he follows the ticking sound into the hotel where he sees Supergirl, who promptly punches the Man of Steel with a nice right hook. As Superman watches Supergirl basically transform into Jevik, a lot of this starts to become clear for our Man of Steel. Especially when he finds out that Jevik has Clark's watch. Superman realizes that Jevik has also taken the form of Ralphie the dog, and has been around whenever someone became afflicted with the virus, meaning that Jevik is the carrier. But before Superman can take Jevik out, he resumes the form of Ralphie, just in time for Jamie to show up. He won't let Superman hurt his dog, even though Superman explains that he must destroy the creature, or Earth is doomed. So Jamie tells him that under no uncertain terms, the only way you're going to save the world is over my dead body. Hence the title of the story, and it all comes full circle. Next issue, the spine-chilling climax. Superman must save the Earth over somebody's dead body. So, before this night is over, Superman will kill. Now my notes for this issue. Starting off on page 7, because I really don't have as many notes this time. Namek's horn is sticking out of the crystal containment. Remember how I mentioned to keep, keep that, uh, to remember that from last issue? Yeah. Uh, this leads me to believe either Superman did something to the crystal somewhere between the issues, or there was some kind of error on behalf of the creative team, possibly last issue, or uh, in between issues when it was realized that 
you know, the horn has to be out of the crystal to work? I don't know. Page 9. Again with the choking and the energy nexus. Amalak is running out of tricks. And again, I have to ask, why is the choking hurting Supergirl? Page 11. Here we've got Superman doing the heat vision on the tail again, so now Superman's repeating himself. Weird. Pages 13 and 14, we've got a two-page fight, which we don't get much in a Bronze Age comic. But it's actually pretty good. Granted, I'm sure it could have been done more dynamically if, say, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, was drawing it. But it is still a good-looking fight. And on the last page, I have to ask, after all the stuff that Superman was going through last issue and the previous issue, talking about how if he kills, he has to give up being Superman, why is he planning on destroying this creature? Which basically means he's going to have to kill it. Ugh. It's a very contradictory thing and makes no sense. Overall, though, I want to mention that, first of all, Dan Adkins' inks over Swan's pencils are beautiful. He uses a thinner line, which allows for more detail to come through, and allows the art to look a lot smoother. As for the story, this was a pretty fun chapter until the end where I have the big issue. But I'm also conflicted about something else. Superman never goes back, in fact, he never even looks up at Amalek's ship again after he's left to make sure Supergirl's okay. On one hand, this seems a bit out of character, as he'd normally head back up there to make sure that things are all wrapped up. But on the other hand, it might mean that he has complete faith in his cousin to take care of things without needing his help. So I prefer to go with the latter, since, he never, since like I said, he never even looks up there, but I just don't know. The revelation of Ralphie being the carrier of the virus is pretty cool. Looking back, it should have been pretty obvious, because they made a point of this dog being there. But when I first read this issue, I was totally surprised. In fact, I actually thought that somehow it was Jamie, not the, the dog, never crossed my mind. So it was very nicely set up and well paid off. And now, that's it for the issue. So, despite what I said last time, J. David Weeder presents DC Comics Presents number 15, featuring The Atom. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Welcome to another edition of Dave Weeder Presents, complete with new theme music, where I cover the Man of Skills adventures teaming up with the DC Universe at large from the pages of DC Comics Presents. This time around, I cover an issue featuring The Atom, also known as Ray Palmer. The Atom, like Green Lantern and The Flash, was a rebooted and retooled version of a Golden Age character. 
The original Adam had no powers, unless you count grit, gumption, and a hard-hitting pair of mitts as powers. I kinda do. He was a relatively short scrapper who became a member of the Justice Society of America. But with Showcase number 34 in 1961, the world met a scientist, Ray Palmer, who found some dwarf star material and created a belted costume that allowed him to shrink down to the size of, well, an atom. The tiny hero became a valuable member of the Justice League and a teammate to Superman, which is kind of the status quo at the beginning of DC Comics Presents number 15, the November 1979 issue. This issue features the art of Joe Staten with Carrie Bates providing a story which is entitled Plight of the Giant Atom. Slight oxymoron, but the story begins with Superman on the JLA satellite doing his shift at monitor duty. The Atom is supposed to relieve him, but when Ray shows up, sans costume, he tells Superman that somebody else needs to take that shift. It seems that the Adam and his wife, Jean Loring, who clearly won't go on to kill anybody, came across a standard mugging, and Ray found himself afraid to shrink. Afraid to the point of absolute inability to use his powers. So Superman makes a call to Batman to substitute for the Atom, and takes Ray to the Fortress of Solitude to work with some hypnotic devices to help Ray overcome his fear. Once the heroes are at the fortress, they are accosted by the green spaceship of aliens from the planet Sabrom, who are a bit miffed that Superman stopped the recent invasion of a faraway galaxy. The Man of Steel and the Atom are hit with a blast that knocks them outside the fortress into the snow of the Arctic where they face the Sabromian ship which blasts them with another odd beam. Superman blocks it with his indestructible cape, but afterward finds that he is coated with a radiation that blocks sunlight from reaching him which means he is weak. He is without his powers. The heroes are taken aboard the ship where they find that the Sabrobiums are giants. Green giants. Who wants corn? Ho ho ho. Anyway, anyway. The Sabromians are about to disintegrate the Fortress of Solitude in an act of retaliation, but Superman is too weak to stop them. This frustrates the Atom, so he punches a wall. And when the Atom sees he put a dent in the wall, he realizes... Well, he realizes something we're going to get to in a moment. The Atom begins to beat up the Sabromians, using his size as a weapon, and then he increases his size to the size of giants. You know, same height. To finish off the last one who's taking aim at the fortress. But before the giant Adam can throw a punch, the alien fires, but didn't count on Superman being there to block the cannon with his newly reinvigorated body. With the Sabromians defeated, Superman puts the pieces together for the reader and the Atom. He basically regained his powers because the alien ship used sunlight as part of its power source. It was solar powered. So basically all that energy was around, which reinvigorated him. Also, when the Atom and Superman were thrown out of the fortress, that was actually Superman's doing, and the twist is that both of them were shrunk down by a machine inside the fortress. This is what the Atom deduced when he punched the wall. So, when the Atom saw the Sabromians as giants, they were actually regular size, which is how he became quote-unquote giant. With this playing out the way it did, Superman's trick to get the Atom over his fear has worked, and the two friends head back across the snow to the fortress. The end. Okay, I'm going to admit this right up front. I like this story a lot. It was a low-risk, low-reward situation. See, I don't have a lot of investment in the Atom. I don't dislike him at all. I quite like him, but I'm not an aficionado of the character. I'm usually happy when he shows up, but he's in the background a bit for me. Having said that, he does match up with Superman really, really well. Both of them being characters with kind of a sci-fi bend to them. Sure, it's a bit contrived that the Atom suddenly developed a fear of using his powers, but that leads to the entire plot of the issue, so I'm kind of obligated to let it slide. Either I'm going to buy in here or I'm just going to chuck the issue. I did like seeing the JLA satellite back in action. I love the satellite. 
and a treat was Batman showing up and being willing to take the shift at monitor duty with very little grousing, actually no grousing at all. Not only does this show a more duty-driven Batman, but it shows a time when the caped crusader was a team player and looked at them as, you know, if not equals, then qualified co-workers. He doesn't talk down to Superman or the Atom, he just kind of shows up to do what needs to be done. And oddly, it's Superman who kind of ends up being the Batman type of character, tricking the Atom by shrinking them both down. So here's the question, had there not been aliens at Superman's doorstep, what was plan B? Were they going to visit the bottle city of Kandor? Because that's what the device was used for that shrunk them down. They're just going to go hang out with Kryptonians? We're not told. But luckily, space-conquering aliens tend to seek out the fortress on a regular basis, which provided Superman and the Atom with a scenario to test out the Man of Tomorrow's Mission Impossible-style ruse. Sure, this could have gone very, very badly, had the fight gone the other way, but Superman is actually showing confidence in his teammates' abilities, which is something that is missing in the team dynamic of the League, at least in my opinion. Superman knows that motivated properly, the Atom can punch his weight, pun intended, and take on the bad guys because he is a solid superhero in his own right. It's very well done. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you this issue is great from a technical standpoint. I mentioned the conveniences in the plot. That leads to a story that is a bit contrived. However, is it fun? Yes, it is. Staten's art is great. It doesn't serve up any real standout moments, but it tells the story more than adequately. And in the end, this issue ended up being what a comic book, especially a team-up comic, should be. Simple fun, and satisfying, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. An issue of a comic doesn't always have to be an event or a life-changing experience. Sometimes it just needs to entertain the reader for a while and leave them with a smile on their face knowing that the time wasn't wasted. So very good issue, I'd highly recommend it. And next time, one of my personal favorites drops in to give Superman a magical time. Prepare for some backwards talking when Zatanna joins us. Until then, I am J. David Weeder, and I am late for my shift at Monitor Duty. Alright, thanks Dave. And that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, once again, I want to thank you all for listening, and next time, we're going to reach the conclusion of the story that I've been covering on the Superman section, Plus, we're going to have the return of BlackRock. See, I told you. And Kryptonite? Plus, Zatanna guest stars in DC Comics Presents 18. And yes, I listened to Dave's clip before I recorded this, so I am aware that that is the correct issue. So we will see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless.
our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. It's Megacom, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. Megacon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center in Magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevic, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. Megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there. <laughs> 